Plus, as you know, um, as as podcasters on the East Coast, we don't get as much rest time as podcasters in other parts of the country. So um, it's kind of unfair that we're having to podcast now because like Barry Gibbs, Barry Gibbs is probably tucked away in bed and then he could get up in the morning and podcast where we're not. So unfair. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away. To a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another episode of The Roundup, catching up on the headlines, results, and news from the professional tour. I'm Connor Malley and joined with Bill Buckingham today. Welcome. How are hey, you, Connor? Bill? How's it going? Doing well. Uh, off a long Labor Day weekend. Uh, weather was uh, otherworldly here in the Northeast, so I just had a, had a fantastic weekend and now back to work, unfortunately. You're looking very sun-kissed. Yeah, yeah. I was I was on the boat yesterday for about six hours. So I had so much sunscreen on, but so much light gets reflected off the water. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So how many hours in the sun? This weekend? Uh, yeah. I played golf. So I, I had I had to use a vacation day on Thursday. So I played. I went up to Rhode Island, Oof. played golf on Thursday, played golf on Friday, drove home Friday night, went to the beach all day Saturday, um, went to the beach most of the day Sunday. And then went out on the boat all day yesterday on Monday. So yeah, rough, rough weekend. Well, yeah, that's rough. Yourself, like I, yourself, Connor. <laughs> I spent almost three hours in the sun total, but no, I mean with with my uh, paleness, uh, that's plenty. That's plenty. Yeah, so, I'm actually um, going to a dermatologist. I made it well based on, as we all know, um, Jimmy Buffett passed over Labor Day weekend, and now it comes out that he R. what R. what he passed out. Well, you know, he passed of um, like skin cancer, basically. So I think that yeah. it has uh, caused, including myself, who uh, who spends way too much time in. The, uh, I made a dermatologist midwife, uh, Jimmy Buffett, and he, uh, unfortunately, it always takes um, takes things like that to spur people my age to go ahead and go to the doctor. Somebody dies of something, and I immediately make mm-hmm. an appointment. Yeah. So, well, good for you for getting that. Um, we're actually in the same state. We're talking. Maybe we could have done a live one, but it just didn't work out. But I was in New York City over the weekend, and then up in Connecticut, and we'll be here for a week. So, looking for it's nice to be by the sea again. So. You want to play golf? Want to play golf on Friday? Um, it might be challenging now, but we'll, we'll talk. I, I do want to try and play golf. I just don't know if I can do Friday anymore. All right, we'll see. Give it a shot. So, did you watch some squash at all uh, during your uh, during your week? I did. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, today's episode will pretty much be focusing on the Paris Open, which was the first major tournament back for the tour this year. Yes. I mean, uh, how much did you, how much were you able to soak in? I followed all of it. I mean, I I watched a lot of the matches on Squash TV. I followed all all of it on social media, Um, all the highs, all the lows, obviously the match results, which we should start with because uh, our podcast (laughs) to dive into the, uh, a lot of the negativity, a lot of the minutia that I appreciate. but there are people out there, I guess, who listen, who really want to know, like, who won, who won the tournament, if they don't know, like, how and why. So we'll do um, the, a person who won't be named in this podcast um, probably could give us a little more insight, but un- unavailable, um, we'll, we'll have to soldier on uh, without without that person. What was your high level, like, one or two sentence summary? What would you say? El Sherbini is the greatest player in squash history, man or woman. That, wow. I mean, she just is, right? Come on. She just is. I mean, she just is. She, she, I mean, <laughs> she tore through that draw. <laughs> I mean, she gave up a game to Tayeb and she get, did give up a game to Gohar, but Gohar is the top player in the world otherwise, right? Besides her. But she basically ran through Egypt before she met Kennedy in the semis. She, she pummeled El Arabi. 
who I'm a big fan of, who continues to dis- disappoint me and may have to drop on the bill meter. Um, she pummeled Salmahani. She beat Norel Tayeb. Uh, Tayeb did take a game, but still beat her. Killed Kennedy. I mean, killed her in 24 minutes. And then, I mean, thrashed Gohar. I mean, thrashed Gohar in 50, in what, I think it was 58, 60 minutes. I forget. I'd have to look. But, I mean, just an incredible performance. She doesn't miss a step, does she? Maybe she's not going to give us that moment this year where we all say, hey, is Norel Sherbini no longer the best player? In previous years, it's always Gohar's making the run to the top, you know, who's El Hamami, maybe she's going to supplant uh, supplant these folks. And uh, boom, El Sherbini wins a world championship. El Sherbini wins, you know, a major title. Maybe this year she's going to be like, you know what? This is my year. I'm just going to stomp all over the competition. So a great start. So, yeah, I I mean, her record is is in, absolutely incredible in the mo- modern game for sure. Um, I mean, but you had a bold statement, greatest player ever in history and and, and man, man or woman, man or woman. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a bold statement. I, I, I mean, she's, she's already, uh, in the conversation as one of the best players of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. 27, 27 years old only still incredible. Yeah. Only 27. So I hope, hope she buys herself a new parakeet or something like that to celebrate. Well, and, and also via her win, reclaiming the number one, uh, position, which, um, you know, you and I kind of mentioned last time it's it sort of loses its luster when it, you're just trading horses going back and forth between who's number one now versus, um, you know, we, we kind of need that breakthrough performance of someone new mm-hmm. um, um, to make it kind of interesting again. Uh, but it's certainly a big deal for her to retain that uh, again, because that's what we remember. Those who stay in the number one position for a long period of time, that's what really can cement you as one of the greatest. Yeah, no, absolutely the case. A little different now that it's weekly, obviously, so it'll go fluctuate a little bit more than it would have normally. But I think on the woman's side, anyways, at least looking at the top three, they do represent, because sometimes rankings don't represent who are the best players, right? Uh, you know, uh, like, hey, someone could be ranked number three, but there's could be like a, a ranked fifth player who's been injured or something like that, who maybe doesn't have the sure. points. But if you put them on court, the fifth ranked player would be favored to beat the third ranked player. But in this case, the top three are the top three, right? Hamami struggled a bit in this event. And we don't know if it was, you know, what it was. She, she struggled against Tanae Gillis and then uh, obviously lost a, a, a very strong effort by Sabrina Sobi. But um, if you look at it, the top three players in the world still are Sherbini, Gohar and El Hamami. Right. And then everybody else is a, mm-hmm. a, a very, very distant second. Very distant second. Or distant fourth in this case. Distant fourth, uh, yeah, true. true. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a very good point, Connor. A very, very good point. <laughs> but th- this was uh, after the conclusion of this event for me. It was great to be back in the season, and it seemed like the break for the players, like they can't, everyone just seemed so fresh, especially in the beginning, the first couple rounds. Like the intensity was there out of the gates, very fresh, very, you and I talk about free-flowing squash was abound, certainly on the women's side in many cases. But um, a notable person missing here was Asal. So how did that influence or impact your your enjoyment of this tournament, Bill? Yeah, oh, hugely, obviously. I make no bones about it that I'm a huge Asal fan. I think he's uh, sorely missed when he's not involved with these events. Well, I'm going to say, I'm, uh, it's funny because I'm going to say not to take anything away from Ali Farag, why I go right ahead and take something away from Ali Farag. <laughs> so Ali Farag is incredible, right? I mean, he coming off of last year where he showed that he is the number one player in the world, but 
these tournaments, there's a hole, right? There's a hole in, in the gap when when you look at the, especially when you get to the quarterfinals. So there, there's that extra match that's missing. So in the quarterfinals here, and I'm not sure what the draws would have been if Asal was in it, who Farag would have played in the quarters. But in this quarter, in, in the second round, he played uh, Lobin, right? So Greg Lobin's a very good player, obviously, but you know, not he's not Mustafa Asal. He then played Victor Cruin, also a very good up-and-coming player. Definitely not. Mustafa Asal played Paul Call in the semis in a epic match. Maybe, I mean, a match that could go down. I mean, I'm hoping there's better matches for the season uh, to go on, but it's hard to believe there will be when it comes to quality of squash, free-flowing squash at its best. The free-flowing fanatics were probably orgasming during that uh, during that match. That was, I mean, really so exciting to watch. And, and Paul, you know, it was kind of reminiscent of Paul when he was ascending the world number one mm-hmm. of him playing at his best. And, he had the you know, chances to win, close out the match. It was unbelievable. Yeah. How exciting was that last, that fifth game? It was edge edge of your seat. If you want go watch it on replay. It's edge of your seat when you watch it on replay. And the way the announcers are into it, it was so, so exciting. In the end, Call was the second best player in the tournament, right? Because on the other side of the draw, we had we had Diego Elias basically give up in the final, right? Uh, lose yeah. first game and then and then give up, showing us that while others may have improved mentally and physically over the uh, the long summer, Diego Elias as Although he made, it's hard to say because he made a final, but he still, I mean, he looks like he took a step back. That was it. That was an embarrassment race. Basically his, the third game of that match was an embarrassment. Yeah. So un- yeah. unfortunately, but not to take anything away from frog, but obviously no assault in the draw leaves a huge gap, especially when you hit the quarterfinals. No, it definitely moves it all down. Yeah. What about talking a little bit about the venue itself and the setting of Paris? What, what was your impressions going in? But, after the week ends, what's your takeaway? Sure. So what I did is just so I can make it seem like I was there. So I like to put myself immersive journalism, they call it. I like to put myself in the, in the, like in that. Did you FaceTime anyone there? (laughs) No, what I did is I just put a big black curtain around my computer so I couldn't see anything to the front, the left or the right. And then I felt like I was uh, in front of the, I just pretended I was in front of the Eiffel Tower because you really couldn't see it anyways. Right. I mean, so there you go. Great, great, great move. Great move dropping a court by the Eiffel Tower than putting a big black curtain around it where you couldn't see the Eiffel Tower. That was awesome. More of that. More of that. Uh, yeah. J- <laughs> jaded Bill just coming, shining through. Good buggy. Uh, I talked about it in the first podcast we did last week, right? I mean, the dropping these courts outside in these iconic venues, as cool as it may be, aren't they better off than, aren't they better off putting them like in a, uh, in a indoor facility next to that iconic venue, iconic statue or tower in this case, where the, um, the elements, as it were, don't affect the play so much. Well, that's what they did. I know, but did did you see what did you see what happened during the Macon uh, Diego Elias match? I mean, they stopped. They must have. I, I, I should count. I should go back and count. I should have done this because that way I could I could um, make people could really think that I pay attention to this stuff. The stoppages during that match because of the weather and the curtain and the humidity and whatever they stopped to mop the floor in that match, uh, maybe 50, 60, 50, 60 It was virtually unwatchable for a great five setter, a great five setter yeah. that went a hundred minutes, but it was probably, I, I would love to see a real counter of actual playtime because it was probably a half an hour of delays uh, based on, on mopping the sweat up and, and getting, making the court where the court wasn't dangerous. It hurt the, it hurt the, the event for sure. So I guess you're kind of saying that it was sort of the, the worst of both worlds where you didn't have the, the background of the Eiffel tower there mm-hmm. um, and set there. Yeah. It's a challenge. I think first year events also, <laughs> there's always a lot of learning going on. I actually wasn't, exp- I was 
really shocked by the the tent itself because I didn't think that that when I saw the renderings of all this, it was just really the the renderings were awesome. <laughs> yeah, the renderings are great. I was like, that's it that looks amazing. But from a venue score setup first year, I I really liked the pink carpet. I thought the the green lines of the court was an interesting contrast. Mm-hmm. I think that's something to really take away going forth. We're starting to see that settle out with the two screens on on the front. That's yep. that's becoming interesting. Yeah, very, so very cool. I like the fireworks. Fireworks. The fireworks editions. That was pretty cool. They, you know, come on. We never felt, never felt like they were going to burn down the place. Unlike uh, Alguna fireworks, it seemed like they were in control. <laughs> yeah. They were controlled fireworks, which was great. Yeah, none, none made their way into the fans, which was a big achievement. Exactly. Um, but what about the MC here, Bill? Were you, were you feeling? No, no, French MCs. I think it was great that they had someone who spoke French, and Camille Sturm is really good at it. I'll tell you what. Yeah, very, that's impressive. Very, very. <laughs> Just waiting her to have the baby right on the court. I mean, she's busting. She, I, I don't know where, what her stat, what are the, what do they call them? Semesters, something like that. What, what is the term for that for baby pregnancies? Trimesters. Trimesters. Sorry about that. <laughs> Thinking about my college days. Um, I don't know where she is, but holy crap, she's big. She's big. She's big. It was weird. I was like literally expecting. It was like every time she got on a court, I was like, well. But otherwise, yeah, the other guy had a cool voice. It was fine. I, it was fine. I, I was. Uh, we'll get to the. We'll get to the. Um, to the closing ceremonies later. Uh, where where. Because you notice in the closing ceremonies, they didn't interview the winners or the runners up. They just handed them the microphone, mm-hmm. which I'm all for. Because at that point, as an MC, I'm done asking questions. What's your question? Yeah, you're like, you know, you know your job. Yeah, here. so maybe <laughs> maybe the PSA has made that a thing, which would be awesome. Because I am I am doing the uh, the Chicago, the Windy City Open. And by the time you get to the closing ceremonies, <laughs> you've asked you've asked all the questions that can be asked at that point. Just, you know, move on from there. So I think we would be before we move on, move on and leave Paris. We have a few things to talk about uh, the inside of the tournament. So obviously, what what got the most play was Mohamed um, El Shabagi was in midseason complaining form. Usually, it takes Mohamed a little bit, like before the conspiracy theories start getting into his head and the little voices start whispering that people are everyone's against him before he goes on his epic ramp that, that is typically typically on the court to a very stunned MC who Michael Absalom does the best job. He just looks at him like and nods his head. But he did it with Joey and Laura Massaro. They have this, they have, with the Joey kept heralding um, the best desk in, in um, which was pretty cool. And that was by the Eiffel Tower. So at his uh, late match, uh, uh, it was uh, Hashem. I'm sorry, he played Hashem, right, in the, in the quarters against it in his Hashem. Sorry about that. We'll have to edit that. His Hashem quarterfinal, which, by the way, only took 29 minutes. <laughs> but it started really late because of the Macon Elias 100-minute match. He went on an epic rant in his post-match interview with Massaro and Joey about how unfair it was for players to be scheduled. There was no split quarterfinals. And now, because he was, it was almost midnight and he was just off court, meanwhile, Paul Call and, Al- and Ali Farag were tucked in bed in their, in their robes and their slippers. And how unfair it was that he now had to unwind, do his post-match massage, and be ready for tomorrow. And it is a disservice to the players. It's the disservice to the sponsors. It's a disservice to, I think he said it was a disservice to pretty much anyone involved with squash that Mohamed Al Shrabagi had to stay up past midnight for his match, his quarterfinal match. He, uh, and targeted and, against him. Oh, it's, it's always targeted against him. So I, I did appreciate the midseason form. Because usually he doesn't go on this like, rant. Like early. legitimately, do, do you think if he was a number one seed and then, by the way, I'm getting off early, but it's very unfair for you know, <laughs> later the guys later on. No, that would that that if, if he was in the mood that at that point we would have gotten, we don't have any idea what goes on off the court, but very soon I'm going to tell you what's happened to me off the court. Very soon I'm going to tell you. We'd get that Mel yeah. Al-Shrabagi. But this was more, 
he rambled. It was actually pretty funny. The best yet was to Laura Massaro. Had no clue what to say to him. She just stared at him like shell-shocked. Joey was trying to like engage him in conversation. Laura Massaro, her mouth agape, just sat there and stared. <laughs> it was very, very funny. Yeah. So you were saying this was getting a lot of play. Who who was just being uh, being tweeted being tweeted, obviously, on on you know, on squash stories, on the PSA web on this PSA Twitter feed. A lot of PSA fans were retweeting it. And then we got some a couple players. The only players I saw, I follow a lot of players, and the only people, and I could have missed some with the new X, not Twitter anymore. I'm not sure I'm getting all the folks that I usually follow. I do the for you and I also do who you're following, but I didn't mm-hmm. see that many. The only two people I saw who amplified it saying, yes, this were Amanda Sobey and Emily Whitlock. Amanda Sobey just turned 30. So um, she's 30 years old. So she falls like kind of in the, in the Mohammed El Shabagi uh, category of an older player, older per se in quotes. And Emily Whitlock complains about everything. So it's hard, kind of hard to take her seriously. She is 29. But what I didn't did think about is, and a fan of the podcast also, we were going back and forth. And he, I told him also, Mohammed Al Shabagi in midseason complaining for me. And he prompted me by saying, Yes, uh, young Mohammed Al Shabagi didn't care when, um, like, um, Gregory Gaultier and Amr Shabana and Nick Matthew were getting, like, having to play him in the semis of the big events when they were his age currently, like when they were 34 and right. 32 and, and young, young Mohammed was in his twenties. He never cared about these non-split quarters or these late nights. Sure. So I, I went back and looked and 2014, when he won the, when um, El Shabagi won the U S open, he played a 31 year old um, and El Shabagi right now is uh, 32. So in 2014, if we subtract nine years, that makes him 23 he played a 31-year-old Galtier in the semis, and then he played a 34-year-old Matthew in the final. So didn't care then because he was just a, a young buck with all kinds of energy. And then he, when he won in 16, he played a 32-year-old Willstrop in the semis and a 36-year-old Matthew in the final. So again, he did have some memorable post-match rants during those, but none of them had to do with not enough time to prep for his semi or final. Mostly they're about the, yeah. the ghosts that are haunting, haunting him and the outside influences that we don't know about but that one day we will know about those. Sure. So just interesting. Well, and, and just to give context in case people weren't following this um, dirt, you know, at the platinum level at this event, sometimes you can split the quarterfinals mm-hmm. and, you, you know, split the round of 16, the round, of th- you know, a lot of split days. This was not split. It was all played in one day. And oftentimes you have the posted match score of when it will start, but then right. that match delays occur. It can go on very late. And he was, Ramping up his match at twelve thirty a.m. Was that uh, it, roughly it, the time? It was midnight. It was midnight. It was just about midnight, yeah. And then uh, he proceeded to share some interesting insight behind the the, For sure. the scenes. What goes on, saying that it's going to take him two to three hours between his cooling down, fueling, taking care of his body, all that stuff. So not going to bed till two or three. So that was the the sort of player complaint side. And if you didn't have any knowledge of the other reasons or rationale why that might happen you could certainly understand that like well that's pretty that's a pretty convincing argument Mm -hmm. why don't they think of that yeah but i actually liked what the the psa did this time and why don't you uh fill it in because you you watched this interview sure the next day before the uh, before the next mat the shabagi match um they played the like an edited version of the shabagi ramp but they didn't cut it too much it still kind of showed exactly what he said and chief operations officer lee beachill come on to soak so-called refute his argument. And Lee was very, very deferential to him. Unfortunately, here's the unfortunate part about PSA TV being run by the PSA is obviously Joey and Johnny Williams aren't going to grill Lee Beachill about this, right? 
they're going to they're going to just show it and say, hey, Lee, tell, um, tell us your feelings on it. There's not going to be any follow up questions. So I think that's frustrating to the to the listeners and to the watchers. But Lee was very good. Lee basically said, hey, in some events, we are able to do this and do the split quarters. Um, in some events, we're not. This is an unusual event. Two day build up on the outside in the beginning. It's going to be a two day breakdown at the end of the event. It's very expensive to be here. It's very expensive to drop a court here. Thank you, Lee, for uh, for, for magnifying uh, or putting a magnifying glass on my argument that I made in last year, last week's podcast. And he said, he, and he also made the good point that look, if the quarters were split, it wouldn't have made a difference because they would have started in the evening, and the same thing would have happened, and there would have been it. So it refuted Muhammad's argument about the split quarters, basically. Yeah, and, and it's exactly. So if there was a split quarters, he still might have been playing in the exact same position and have to play the next day. Yep. So, I mean, I think sometimes what they point towards if Muhammad were able to expand on that is in tennis world, world of tennis, where they'll even have a, a rest day in between quarters in the semis. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, so like, 100%. You know, which really, it's it's very tough to compare ourselves to a sport that is swimming in money. And actually where there's already an existing infrastructure versus a built, uh, you know, a pop-up venue, which is what we had. And it was helpful for Lee to share that, I'm sure, for the not as well-informed consumer. But um, yeah, the the other pieces here are what the, um, the promoter's needs, the player needs, and then also the spectator. And certainly the sponsors play a huge factor here. It also occurred to me when Muhammad was going on this rant um, and thinking through the different decisions that go on behind the scenes is when to conclude the tournament, right? So you and I have been impacted by, should we end the U.S. Open on what day? Is it a Monday night? Is it Tuesday? Is it Thursday? Right. Is it Saturday? And from this, the fans' perspective uh, and in sporting world, most events end on a Sunday, right? A Saturday or Sunday. Yep. Yep, Qatar. I mean, and, the, and the Qatar Classic is coming up, and I haven't. I went online. I don't see the draws there, but they don't split their quarters either. It's going to be the same thing. And last year, Sherbagi won the Qatar Classic, right? He beat he beat Kruin in the final after like playing straight from round three was split, but he played quarters, semis, finals, but he won, right? So he he won and he won pretty handily. Beat beat us all in sixty minutes, but still recovered enough to beat Kruin in the final. So he's going to fly to Qatar, and he's going to have the same issue, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly. So it's pretty interesting. Well, it was also interesting. You're talking about Laura Massaro, and 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 it it puts the players in an awkward position, or the sorry, the former players uh, who are now commentators in an awkward position because I think Laura, when she was on the player side, probably would have really um, been right behind Muhammad and saying, "Yes, I believe this is an issue." However, in her her commentary, she said, "Well, I get you. I understand what you're saying, Muhammad, but as a as a now being on the other side of running events, these are the factors that go on. Yeah, for, um, yeah, for sure. It's funny coming from her too, because we know, as we know, she wasn't the most. Um, as she wasn't. She wasn't a squash promoter's dream player when it, when she was a top player in the world. To, was not easy to deal with. Would not put herself. Uh, put the tournament ahead of herself. Let's let's be nice. We'll be nice about it because I, I don't really know her as a person. But she was not a promoter's dream by any means and put, put us in a, in a lot of tough positions when, when she was a player. So it's good. I think it's good that she's seeing the other side now. And she even mentioned that she sees it from Camille Serm's side, but uh, it was just kind of funny. It was ironic coming from her, to be honest with you. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so the other thing was, I mean, it basically put, put it, not that, not, not that it, it, it kind of stamped what I said last week as, you know, as hold the Holy Grail. But basically when this was announced, right, it was everybody was like, 
awesome. Paris, the Eiffel Tower. This is so good for the game. This is so, this is going to be awesome. And every player was tweeting about it. Can't wait to play here. Can't wait to play here. And now, you know, when the reality hits, hey, you have to make some concessions when you're going to do things such as this. Squash is in that spot. So you all wanted to play at the Eiffel Tower. You all wanted a glass court to drop at the Eiffel Tower. So don't now be coming back and saying, hey, this is, yeah, this isn't quite working out for me, the, the way the, the draws are working out and the way the timing's working out. So maybe you, you got to take the good with the bad, right? So think think about That's that. A good point. A good point. So, one, of, one of the other things, I haven't gotten the full report, but, um, you know, one thing that did jump out to me about the success metric here was the attendance. It was really well attended. The community really got behind it. I think it was six days of operations, they were they sold close somewhere between six to seven thousand tickets. Yeah, the, crowd, the crowds were great. So, the crowds look great in the semis and the finals, especially the side. Once you know what, like at any event, yeah. once the side walls are filled, the events look great, right? Because that's what you see as a spectator on Squash TV. You don't really see the back crowd too much. I mean, sometimes you do, like in photos, it's still photos, but during the venue, during the um, squat, during Squash TV, you, you see the side walls, and when they're empty, it's so stark, and they were full for the semis. Yeah. And the finals looked great. Looked really great. Yeah, so really well embraced. And well, is it anything else to bring up about the, the any other player rants that or player behavior that sort of jumped out? To yeah, Noran Gohar, Noran's Noran. So Mustafa, Mustafa saw as we know has been uh, been suspended for twelve weeks. So Noran Gohar, being the selfless person that she is, has stepped in to the role of public enemy number one on the PSA tour. Um, Neuron, who was the toast of the PSA tour at this time last year and was basically decimating every field she, uh, she, she participated in every tournament she participated in has now become, um, she's cheats. She blocks. She doesn't call her double bounces. She took a ball off the arm and knows she got hit with a ball and should have called it on herself. Noran Gohar has become a cheat all of a sudden, out of nowhere. We, ha- we have found a new person, to, a new enemy to pick on. And I just think it's hilarious. What's your take on that? I think it's ridiculous. I think she's the same player she always was. I think uh, the, the greater squash public is always looking for a bogeyman when we talk about social media. But more so, I think the players see that how six on the women's side, see how successful it was to demonize Mustafa Saal and how it turned the refs against him, how it turned in some ways the PSA tour against him and how it certainly uh, turned for the most part, the squash world against him. So now they look at somebody like Gohar, who's a top player and could be a top player for a very long time. And they say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to start voicing my dissent against her, that she does this and she does that same stuff. She's the same player she was a year ago, same player she was two years ago. But I think the players are now thinking, you know what? Maybe when I get on court with her, the refs will maybe maybe give me a couple calls that they wouldn't have. Maybe I'll win a match that I normally wouldn't have against her if I play up all of, all of this stuff that uh, so that gets played up on social media. So I think it's a joke. Uh, the Sobi match, I mean, unfortunately, it was it was it was a lot closer than the score indicated. Obviously, it was only like forty something minutes long. But it wasn't even good squash, right? It was nothing but it was a it was a football game. It was a rugby match, banging into each other. So many bad shots on both sides. And the the play where the ball ricocheted off of her had Amanda won the point. So it didn't affect the outcome right. of the match whatsoever. Right. So what it did affect was unlike the Hamami matches against Gohar that are like Ali Frazier, that are epic in love them or hate them, stoppages, yelling. There's some beautiful squash being played in between. There was no beautiful squash being yeah. played in that match at all. It was just a, it was a rugby yeah. match. And this is, uh, you're talking about the semifinals between, yeah. between um, Gohar, uh, Amanda Sobe. Yeah, and Gohar. Just, it wasn't yeah. fun to watch at, at, at all. So the ball ricocheted. So the big play, obviously, I, I'm sure you've seen it online. 
Amanda tried right. to hit a cross court. Um, no, uh, no harm. <laughs> no harm was at the tee. The ball glanced off of her arm and was redirected. The announcers didn't even notice. I don't know if Amanda noticed it while it actually happened, but somebody alerted Johnny and, uh, and Vanessa, obviously, in the truck. And when they came back from the uh, for the next game, it was so obvious when they showed the front wall that it happened. Now, did Nora Angarhar know she got with the ball? Who knows, right? I mean, she'd have to tell us that. We, right. We'll see. Right. We'll see. But they made such a big deal it's, out of it. Such a big deal out of it. Yeah, and it really does show that no one point is all is going to it's rare that any one point will determine the outcome of a match. Sure. Right. So it's like pointing towards this of look at this and the injustice versus. I think they're making a big deal of a bit of out of it to, to amplify my previous point that now let's have the refs look at everything Noran Gohar does. Let's let, Hey, maybe before, uh, maybe before um, the semifinals in Qatar uh, next week, we'll have a um, Lee Drew come out and do a video, a compilation of Noran Gohar's, uh, uh, mis- misdeeds, and they'll show them before her, the Noran Gohara semifinal. If she makes a semifinal. Oh man! Oh, <laughs> so man. question, question on that, Connor. Roddy Martin is Noran Gohar's coach. Obviously, we talked about that last week when we went into the whole Victor Gohar um, um, now being hitting par- being hitting partners. What does Roddy Martin think of this? Because he was one of the people who did jump on Mustafa, the Mustafa Saul anti Mustafa Saul bandwagon, basically calling him a cheater and he wasn't good for the game. So now that his his player is getting that same treatment. Um, what, 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 what do you think he's thinking right now? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I, I, um, I think, and I don't know. So this is yeah, just totally guessing. Um, in this case, Rodney's probably going to stay silent because why, why add more fuel? And it's still early days in terms of where this is playing sure. out. So you're, you're indicating that this could be a trend. I think there could be a time when he may come, come out and try and defend mm-hmm. her say, what are you talking about? But as of right now, it would, my, I'm, and frankly, my advice would be just to stay silent. This isn't a big issue and, and see if anything starts popping up. So what, what do you think the defense is? So as far as the blocking and things like that, to me, that's all bull crap anyways. But what's the defense of when, you, when you're calling Mustafa Saul for cheating and your player, I mean, blatantly cheated, right? I mean, I would assume I, I, again, did she not feel that she should come out and say, hey, look, my bad. If I had known I was hit with the ball, I would have called it on myself. I'm not like that. She should come out and just defuse this whole thing, right? If, if, if indeed that's the case. Or is it spur of the moment in this, that game, that match was such a war as far as physicality. She's like, fuck that. Excuse me. We'll, we'll bleep that. Screw that. You know what? Play on. Yeah. We mentioned this another episode, which really the burden of this stuff is on the referees. Right. And we can applaud sportsmanship for sure. Mm-hmm. And unless Noren really provides that insight, we don't. We don't know. Right, right. We couldn't. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I will say, I have been in the heat of the battle when I'm on court. Your heart rate's up significantly high. Um, you're, you really want to win. And you could, for all intents and purposes, believe that it didn't happen. Right, right. Yeah. And, until you've shown the evidence. No, 100 so. Yeah, it's not like she kicked the door, you know. Either. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, so <laughs> as far as the rest of the tournament, um, uh, the uh, squash TV. It was nice to see the squash TV crew back. I thought Joey did a really good job of kind of setting the scene for uh, for the tournament and like really really pumping up the whole Eiffel Tower aspect of it as little as we could see of it. Um, I thought Johnny Williams was stepped it up this this tournament. He was he was fantastic as far as his analysis. I totally agree, and uh, I'm a little bit bummed I didn't get a. Normally they do a venue tour. No venue. No, ven- no venue tour. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. They might do it on the back end. Maybe they filmed it but didn't release it. And I don't know 
there there were definitely production hints that were turned up. Like I really liked the desk. I liked the location. It seemed like there were more commentators were using them sort of mm-hmm. not just for um, in the booth, but then also providing, you know, what you experience with other sporting events of having a, a, a high level of analysis right. going on. So yeah, I, I was, if this is an indication of where it's going, I was, it was very positive right. uh, directionally. I th- directionally. I think, I think we need more from Laura Massaro. She obviously is a ex world number one, uh, ex world champion. She, she needs to like find her voice. She kind of just parrots what Joey says. She doesn't really add anything to the broadcast at this point. So, um, I mean, unlike Lisa Adkin, when she does it, which she, she's so stellar at it. Yeah, I think it, I don't, it sometimes it takes hours to develop, yeah, for, you know, so just more, sure. more, more time behind for it. For sure. Um, so before right. we, before we move. Well, are we going to, are we, we going to do the Joe Free presentation? Yeah, yeah, so this is it. I mean, that's all we really have left. All right. Go ahead. We're, hang on. Go ahead. We're, we're going to ask this and then we can get into sure. it. So what's your headline? Like thumbs up, rated out of 10. Uh, for this trophy presentation, which do you want a headline or do you want a one out of 10? Both. It was, I give, I give it a, as far as absolute lunacy, I give it a 10 for absolute lunacy. Okay. Um, as, as far as for professionalism, I mean, the PSA has to like, don't they have to vet the, don't they vet this stuff? I mean, how is it possible you could have like those people on court presenting the winners with crowns? Oh man. Okay. So ready for my, no, no, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Yeah. Not quite yet. So, okay. so I don't, I couldn't identify who the King was. So, cause they did it in France, in French. They, they announced who they were. Let's just assume Louis. Yeah, King Louis. <laughs> there are yeah, lots of, he's the brandy, the guy who, who does the brandy, right? Louis the 14th. We'll say he's the cognac guy. Yeah. Um, obviously Joan of Arc was out there or, or was that, I couldn't tell. Was that Joan of Arc or was that the lady from squash site? Cause she should, she's like a historical French character, isn't she? Um, yeah, I know. and then there was the guy who, there was Napoleon, obviously. And then there was the guy who looked like a short Abe Lincoln with no real beard. So I'm not quite sure yeah. historically who he was. I think the players were so stunned when they walked out on court. Noren Gohar didn't know where to go or what to do. She like was like wandering in circles. This is a long headline, by the way. This is a long headline. We're not describing. I was looking for a headline. Okay, uh, lunacy. I was going to say it was absolute lunacy. So here's my caveat. This is this was like a eight or nine out of ten for me, and extremely creative. And uh, I'll give my version of it. Then you can, you can, okay. okay. What I liked about, like I said, it was very creative. Like, Hey, we're, we're in this culture. Let's infuse these characters. And initially when I saw it, I thought it was a joke because I saw the pictures, <laughs> but then watching it, um, I was like, this was professional. Like they were definitely orchestrated. Sure. They had done some practicing. 100%. Bill, 100%. Right? They were actors. They were, they were actors for sure. They were actors. There yeah. was the, the, the Louie was definitely in charge orchestrating yeah. that. I mean, in general, these uh, these proceedings, like having them go on for half an hour, is just a little too much, right? It's a little, yeah. Like we, we need to have this a tighter production level, but um, there's definitely uh, high points for creativity and some surprise here. Goha and Farag both speak French. Unreal, right? I mean, Farag, Farag, Farag. You know, you yeah. know, he he speaks French, right? I mean, he speaks every. He, you could he'll hold this tournament anywhere, and Farag would speak. But Go Goha was. Yeah. Yeah. Farag was yeah. like, you know, muddling yeah. through. Well. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty, he did a pretty good job of muddling through. So. He did. He did amazing. 
amazing job. Yeah. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Yeah, it was, so. it was incredible. And yes, Gohar and Sherbini obviously had no idea what was happening, which is fine. And, and, oh, poor Sherbini. She was just yeah. like, what, yeah. where am I? Where She's am like, I? What is this? Can we take this crown right, off right. now? Can we take this the crown? crown? Didn't quite fit her. She tried to make the crown look cool. She tipped it up a little bit, tipped it down a little bit. She was trying to make it look like it would be good for photos. And then she was like, I, and then Ali knew what every presidential candidate in the United States knows. Never put have somebody put a hat on you. Like never. Haven't put it on real quick, but before any photos are taken, take it off real quick because there's no way to look cool. Michael, the Michael Dukakis school of uh, school of helmeting. So, um, the, the the again, the best part about all of this is the social media aspect of it. Is the Egyptians online complaining about Bo uh, Napoleon being on the court uh, because uh, Napoleon um, oh. Napoleon conquered supposedly conquered Egypt. Um, if you deep dive into it, you'll see that the uh, the Egyptian campaign turned out to be quite a fiasco and they spun it well in the French newspaper. So kind of, kind of like if squash site covered, uh, covered it, they would spin it to make, uh, to make it look good. If it was, they made, they made this look in the, in the French Gazette when Napoleon returned, but he did conquer Giza in uh, the pyramid area in Alexandria, I guess. Um, but then was just completely obliterated by the British Navy and went home with his tail between his legs and then lied, lied, I guess lied to everybody about how it went. But the Egyptians online were not happy that a man who took war, uh, to Egypt was on um, with basically all Egyptians uh, uh, presenting them trophies. So there was a little bit of a you can't get away from the away from that in social media these days. People are always going to find fault. Kind of like you know, like Apollo Creed and Rocky One came out dressed as George Washington. Right. I think Victor Cruin should come out dressed as Napoleon whenever he plays an Egyptian uh, for the rest of for the rest of the PSA tour. Thoughts? Wow. Uh, I mean, I think this is all just a big preview for the the blockbuster hit of Napoleon that's coming out. So this is all inter interactive um, me media marketing. It, it, it could be. It was. It was. It was some. Let's just say it was something. You know what? A little bit of Nantes got thrown into Paris 2023. We we lamented the loss of Nantes at Nantes. So maybe Nantes just like, hey, throw me a, throw me a bone, and uh, and we'll we'll do it in the closing ceremony. So yes, uh, once again though, the closing ceremonies. Um, I'll watch the closing ceremonies like Farag match. What will I watch more and replay the Cole Farag match or the closing ceremonies? Do you think Connor, if you had a guess, you it might be equal weight to both Equal weight or both for sure. I, they, they need to do, you know, how they like on PSA TV, you could either watch the replay or the highlights. They need to do a highlights of the, of every trophy ceremony. And, 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 uh, Alex Goff, and I know you're listening. Don't delete this. Cause every time there's a, like a, a trophy ceremony that I make fun of, I go back to squash TV and try to rewatch it. And it's oh. <laughs> so leave that one on. I need the entertainment. So next up, next yeah. up, Connor, we have, um, we have, uh, Qatar looks like the same cast of characters, not a lot of difference in the, at the top ends of the draw. We'll play it over again, uh, indoors this time. I don't believe they play outdoors. Do they in that, in that event? I believe it's no, I don't believe I think so. it's it's yeah. near an iconic an iconic um uh an iconic venue, but it's actually played indoors. So um we'll get to see, as you said, all the players looked fresh. Now they have a week turnaround to play another platinum event, see how that freshness plays out, and then even more so down the line, um, a two week rest, then they go play in Philadelphia for the um will really um how this com compact uh uh beginning of the PSA squash season, uh, what kind of toll it takes on, on these, um, if nothing else, we could get a, uh, a, a couple, couple more, uh, Muhammad about this, which would be wor worth every penny. It's great to, to see what will be happening going on next platinum. And, uh, I'm definitely excited for the U S open. I, I think it's going to be, um, nice to have it back on U S soil and, uh, yeah. the PSA swing there and Houston, to don't forget, don't don't slight Houston, uh, Houston twenty twenty. Oh, there, there you the go. South, I the hear, Southwestern uh, Women's Open presented by Cotidier. I mean, uh, Cotidier, by the way, a uh, clothing uh, manufacturer announced a partnership with. Uh, oh wow! Oh wow! Some, she, some, she was some, looking some good. Some symmetry there. 
the um and i hear all of the like the amount of preparation going into the trophy uh presentation is going to be epic i'm hearing how many how many fireworks i'm actually going to dress like the old ceo of enron I figured that'd be good for Houston. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you should dress as a cowboy and then uh, that will elicit just for the comments. I'll dress it as Earl, Earl Campbell. That's a deep cut for anyone who's listening. I will dress up as Earl Campbell or Dan Pastorini. <laughs> uh, that'd be pretty funny if you're taking a dress like a cowboy, but you actually show up in the Dallas Cowboy uniform. Oh, that'd oof. be fun. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Connor. All right, See you. All right, See you ciao. Week. Bye. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.